Good morning, Hope Church. My name is Wendy Rawls. I'm so honored to be with you today. I want to tell you what, you sit under some anointed leadership at this church. You have amazing pastors. Yes, absolutely. I love your pastors dearly, and I'm so honored to be in the pulpit this morning and just bringing a message that I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart for you. And uh, my oldest son, just a couple days ago, brought me a sticker. And on the sticker, it says, I, lo- I run on Jesus, coffee, and chaos. If that is not the perfect description of Wendy Rawls, I don't know what else is. Here's a pic of my family. This is why. <laughs> it's all boys. Y'all, it's all boys and me. That's it. So we have uh, my husband and I, Tyler. We've been married for a little over 12 years. We have not murdered each other yet. No, we have not. We're both still alive. We don't say, we do not talk about that D word in our family. Not at all. We've talked about murder a lot, but never the D word. Never once have we said that. And so uh, Jackson is our oldest. He's nine years old. He's in third grade. He liked um, to have told me the other day he's in in fourth grade. No, no, sir. You still have a couple days of third grade left. I'm going to hold on to that as long as I can. Yes, I am. And because uh, I am not old enough to have a nine-year-old. Let me just tell you right now, it's so crazy. My middle son, Camden, that's who Amy was referencing. And Camden um, is our middle son. He's in first grade, getting ready to finish up first grade. And um, he's our miracle boy. And I'll have to tell you his story another time. But he was diagnosed with spina bifida and hydrocephalus. We're giving quite a dire description of what his life would look like, but he's here with us today. And he, uh, we were told he would not walk. He probably wouldn't talk a lot. He wouldn't be potty trained, all the different diagnoses that a doctor can give. But we chose to believe the report of the Lord. And I will tell you today, that baby runs, he walks, he socializes, he's everybody's best friend. (laughs) So we love it. Yes, God is so good. And then we have Bryson. He'll be four in just two weeks. I can't believe it. And um, he's the baby of the family. So, you know, he's rotten. And if you're like, wait, what? What What are you talking about? Then you're the baby of the family. That's exactly what's happening right now. Okay. Because if you're the baby of the family, you know, you know that you're rotten. You're spoiled rotten. So it's fine. But this, yes. So this is us. We are affectionately called the Rowdy Rawls because you hear us before you see us. And so um, I love um, being a part of this family. We're so honored that the Lord would bless us with three sons to raise up as mighty men of God. And we're doing our best to do that. (laughs) It's a loud and crazy life, but we love every minute of it. I'm currently serving as a staff pastor on a team down in Hampton, Virginia at Calvary Assembly of God. And I'm transitioning out of that role into a U.S. missionary role with Save One. We're a post-abortion ministry that does recovery for men, women, and families. And I do have a short intro video that I'd like for you to see today. This is from our founder, Sheila Harper. They're out of Nashville, Tennessee. So just take a look. At Save One, we help men, women, and families recover after abortion. And sometimes people ask, why are you helping those people? Isn't it too late for them? Why aren't you trying to prevent abortion? Why are you helping those people who have already made that choice? And it's our philosophy at Save One. They are exactly who we need to be reaching in the church because their stories are so powerful. This is the greatest prevention of abortion we have the people who have the personal experience finding forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and then they're able to go into our communities and tell that truth. They then become these walking billboards of grace and mercy for Jesus' forgiveness. It's exactly what happened to me. I spent seven years after my own abortion 
hating myself. I had an attempted suicide. I became reliant upon drugs and alcohol just to get through the day. But then I found my way to a Bible study, much like the one Save One offers, and that is what changed my life. I was introduced to a Jesus that forgives the sin of abortion, and I haven't been able to be quiet about it since then. What we're finding at Save One are these men and women who come through the Save One program, they then turn around and become the loudest voices that we have. It, they're an unstoppable force almost. When Jesus lets you let you out of this self-imposed prison, it's like you, you're compelled to tell people what he has done. The Bible tells us that in Revelation 12, 11, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's how we know abortion recovery is the key to ending abortion in our country and around our world. Because when we start telling what God has done for us, we become more powerful than the enemy. And so that's absolutely incredible to see. Plus Proverbs 18, 21 says, the power of life and death are in our tongue. So when we start taking up this language of life, we become these powerhouses speaking God's word and changing the atmosphere. It is absolutely incredible. We, we do this work through three Bible studies that we've written. The women's Bible study, we started having success. Men started asking to go through. My husband and I, Jack, wrote the men's study. And then we started having grandparents and siblings want to come through. And we wrote the ripple effect. And so these three studies mirror each other. So a pregnancy center can offer one abortion recovery Bible study and invite anyone who is abortion wounded. The church is the first place we should turn to for help, not the last. It's time that the church rise up using the Save One program and do something about the abortion issue. The statistic is that one in every three women of childbirthing age have had an abortion. This statistic is not only true in your community, it's also true in your church. This statistic does not change. And what we have found is that for every one in three women, that means there's one in three men who have lost out on the opportunity of fatherhood. And there's also a chance that one in three have been affected by this abortion decision in some ripple effect way. And I'm not here today to argue the politics of abortion, left or right, or pro-choice or pro-life, though it's not what I'm here to talk about today. Because I think that we as a church have a little bit deeper issue that I wanted to talk about. I want us to look at what spiritual breakthrough might look like for us as the people of God. Amen? You don't have to be quiet, y'all. This is the second service. Y'all can pipe up a little bit, okay? All right, here we go. Today, I want you to look with me at a story of Gideon. A lot of you know Gideon as the fleece guy, right? He, the Lord gives him assignments, and every time he asks the Lord for a sign, he needs that confirmation, you know, over and over and again. We're not really working with the hero of the faith when we first meet Gideon, okay? But I want to look back at the origin of Gideon's story. So if you will turn in your Bible, if you don't have one, grab your neighbors. We're going to go to Judges chapter 6, all right? Judges chapter 6, and we're going to just start to set the scene here. In Judges 6, verses 
1 through 6. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, the Ketamites, mosquito bites came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to waste it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. So we're going to take these six verses and unpack them just a little bit this morning. I had the sincere privilege of driving through your beautiful land the other night. Man, this place, all we, we don't have big open fields where I live. We have traffic. And so it was very different. And I loved all the rows of crops and all the rows of wheat. I think there was, I don't know what all was planted out there, but man, it was so cool looking. And my boys were like, their eyes were like this big. You know, my middle son was like, can we move here? <laughs> and so it was it's amazing. But, but when we find Gideon, we find him on a farm and he is tending to his family's farm. And it looks maybe like your neighbors or your farm. It was meticulously planted. I believe that Gideon had all the fresh veggies. I believe that his wheat was in a perfect alignment and was growing in perfect rows. I know that all of his ox, donkey, sheep, goats, all of the things were attended to and they were in perfect healthy condition. And I know all of this because I, 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 I just believe that the Lord is like, hey, you know what? Like, like I'm not just going to pick any guy. I'm going to pick the guy who's, who's on it, right? And so Gideon works really hard to make sure that he's going to have a big harvest, okay? He has to provide for his family. And this is the way that he knows how to do that. He has to make sure that all of his tomatoes are ripe and all of his squash are ready to go. And he has to make sure that those veggies are going to come up perfectly. He has to make sure that he has a field that he can harvest for wheat and grain. He has to make sure his livestock are, livestock are in tip-top condition to be able to work those fields and all of the things, right? And at the, if he does all of it right, he should be prepared for a big, big feast. But what we read in the Bible was that they would do all of these things, right? They would pour their blood, sweat, and tears into their land. And right before harvest time, the Midianites would come in and wipe them out, wipe them out. When I read this scripture, it immediately makes me think of Thanksgiving Day. Can I get a witness in the house today? Okay, I spent like a whole week preparing 85 casseroles, 16 pies, and an 18-pound turkey. And my family comes, and in like 3.29 seconds, it's gone. I'm like, can I get a piece of turkey? No turkey. Okay, that's fine. Wow. And I truly believe that's what the Israelites probably felt like. They were like pouring it in and doing all the things, and they've got everything ready. And then all of a sudden, gone. And I'm like, hold up. So when the Midianites would come, right, with all of those ites that they coerced into helping, okay, when we say raid the land, okay, it says it left nothing. But I like to read that no thing. They even took the grapes off the vine so that they would have nothing to even, like they would turn grapes into wine, right? Nothing. They left them no thing, even to the point where they would take their livestock because that meant that they would have no way to work their land. They would have no meat when it came to the off season. My mind is just blown. No thing. And did you catch for how long? Seven 
years, seven years in a row, over and over and over and over. And it says, when they would see the Midianites coming, they would run in Judges 6-2. They oppressed Israel, and because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. I think I can understand that. I think I'd be running for the hills too, right? Ruthless, ruthless. And we, we see that the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian for seven years. And when I read that, what I see is present day Wendy going, you know what? I got this. God, you just stay right here. I got this. I'm fine. It's fine. Everything is fine. Oppression. It's fine. We're fine. Everything is oppression. It's fine. We're fine. Everything is fine. Lord, we're good. We're fine. Everything is fine. We got this. Over and over, oppression, oppression, oppression. And at some point, friends, the Israelites started to get a little bit angry, right? Like I maybe would have taken that for two years in a row, but by year three, I'm like, come at me. I'm ready. Come on from, ah. you know, you're not taking my stuff. Seven years, not only are they angry at this point, they're hungry. We have a word for that. It's called hangry, <laughs> right? The Israelites are hangry. But when the Midianites come, they hide. And finally, after seven years, they cry out to the Lord. They remember where their help comes from. And who does the Lord send? Good old farmer boy Gideon. And in scripture, it says in Judges 6, 11, the angel of the Lord came, his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. So Gideon, just like the others, the Midianites had come, Gideon was hiding, but I give him a little bit of accolades here. He could have been like, peace out to the hills like everybody else, but instead he stayed. He was trying to find some way, somehow, on his own, in his own might, in his own strength, he's like, I got to do something. My family is starving. We are oppressed people. I've got to do something. We hungry. But here's the deal. I want to show you a couple pictures. I'm a visual learner, so you get the benefit of that today. <laughs> okay? All right? Because here's the deal. When you thresh wheat, you actually need a large, wide open space with a large, flat, hard surface. Okay? So this is, might be something of what it looked like where it was a community event. The families came together. They would all bring their livestock. They would work together. It was a big ordeal to thresh the wheat and to get the grain ready, okay? And after you got this big, large, wide open space with the hard, flat surface, you would then need access to the wind, okay? Because in order to separate, okay, after the livestock had like walked over and separated it all, you take that, you throw it up in the air, the grain falls and the chaff blows away, okay? So you need access to that wind so that when you throw it up, the grain will fall, chaff blows away, okay? So, those are the things that are necessary in order to thresh wheat properly. 
let me show you where we find Gideon. Not quite what he needed. This is a wine vat. This has an oval bottom, so it's not a flat surface. This has no access to the wind. I'm not really 100% sure how he even got anything done in this moment because he is in a situation trying on his own will and his own power to do something that he can't do using the wrong tools hiding in a pit. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a spot where we're trying so desperately to serve the Lord, trying so desperately, right, to do everything right, but we're fine, it's fine, everything is fine. And the enemy comes and he starts to read that harvest of your heart, and what do you do? You run and hide, and you're in a pit, and you're scared to death, and you're oppressed, and you don't know where to turn. But you're on your own power, using the wrong tools in the wrong situation. Just me? Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm preaching to the right people today. Hallelujah. We're in a pit. We're trying to hide. We're trying to thresh wheat and unwind that. We're trying to be on our own. We're not praying. We're not reading our Bible. We're not fasting. We're not seeking the, su- the true source of truth. Right? Gideon's trying hard. But he's not in the right place, and he's not using the right tools. But be encouraged, because in Judges 6, 12, the very next verse, the Lord comes. The angel of the Lord appears and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That brings me so much comfort. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, because the Lord saw something in Gideon he couldn't even see in himself. And I want to encourage you today that he sees you working. He does. He hears all of your prayers. He understands your very heart's desires. He knows your thoughts, and he hears your cries, friends. But he said, rise up. You can't stay in the pit anymore. You have to rise up, mighty warrior. He sees in you what you can't even see in yourself. But you are called and you are anointed to do his work. Gideon is hangry. He's hiding. I've felt like that many times in my life where I've made a mistake. I've committed a sin. I let my human nature and my flesh rule, right? I think I can do it on my own, and and I just find myself hiding. I'm just trying desperately to accomplish assignments for the Lord, but I'm using all the wrong tools, (laughs) trying on my own self, on my own power, on my own energy, on my own strength. And I'm hangry because I'm starving from the true source, which is the bread of life. Y'all know that verse, don't you? John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. We're hangry because we're not feeding on the right stuff. And then we start to doubt God. We start to doubt our abilities. We start to doubt our assignment and our relationships. We're, we're afraid to do anything meaningful with our lives. And many of you have a testimony that may have started out just like mine. 
I grew up in church. I'm actually a product of the Potomac Network. I grew up in, in Hampton, Virginia. My parents are pastors there of a church. And they have been so for over... Oh, 29 years, and they gave me all the building blocks to be very successful in life. I grew up in a very loving Christian home. I had wonderful youth leaders. I, I remember being involved in all the things. I mean, fine arts, youth camp, youth convention, leadership, worship, band, drama. T- I mean, you name it, I did it. And my sister and I have a younger sister, and we affectionately teased that growing up, we had a drug problem because every time the church doors were open, we were drugged through them. And so it didn't matter if it was Tuesday night orchestra, Wednesday night church, Friday night prayer meeting, or Sunday night church. Y'all had Sunday night church? We had some Sunday night church back in the day, y'all. And I'm telling you what, man, we were there. But as a 17-year-old girl who obviously knew all the things. I remember sitting down with my parents and just kind of like trying to figure out, I I appreciate what you do for a living. I see God working in your life. I see your very successful ministry. I'm just not sure it's for me. I believe in God. I just don't know that I want to live for God. I believe in God. I'm just not sure I want to live for him. And making that decision as a 19-year-old a couple years later, I hit a very low point where I found myself alone sitting on a college dorm room bathroom floor with a positive pregnancy test in my hand. I was unmarried. I was unwilling to take on the responsibility of what that looked like. And I went to a women's health clinic who at the time told me that I had options I knew there were no options. I knew what the choice was supposed to be. But I couldn't see past what I had done. I couldn't see past the guilt and shame of that moment. What would people think of me? What would they do to my family? How could I ever move past this? And you don't ever forget the moment where at five and a half weeks pregnant, I took a pill that caused myself to have a miscarriage. What was supposed to be a quick and easy solution is what launched me into a 15-year battle with depression, anger, guilt, and shame. My friends, we are the truth tellers. We have to stand up for what is right, and we have to be the ones to tell the culture and the society. We dictate what the truth is on these matters, and I can tell you right now, it is not a solution. It is not health care. It is a battle with the enemy, and we are not winning. We have to rise up for truth, and I'm here to tell you today that it was a broken, broken girl that sought the Lord in my early 20s and finally found him as Lord and Savior of my life and an invested relationship with him. I remember in my early 20s just reading Psalms 23, 6 and going, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And I took great comfort in that. I asked forgiveness from the Lord. I, I knew he had forgiven me, but I could not forgive myself. 
And I found myself hiding. And I found myself hurt. In a world of despair. But he says, rise up, mighty warrior. Rise up, mighty warrior. And I'm going to tell you, looking back, I've seen so many times where the Lord's hand was on my life. So many divine appointments that I didn't see in the moment. But looking back, I'm like, Lord, thank you for your protection and your guidance and your goodness and your faithfulness. Because he never left my side, right? And, and, and my friends, I'm telling you, whatever your pain, addiction, struggle, habit, weakness, attitude, whatever it is, the Lord can handle it. Yes, he can. The Lord can turn what the enemy meant for evil. He can turn it for good. We have to rise up out of the pit. We have to believe that we are mighty warriors called of a great and mighty savior. In Romans 12, 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You guys know in John 10, 10, it tells us that the thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy, to keep you right there in that pit. That's exactly where he wants you to be. However, the Lord says, uh-uh, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And can I, can I tell you something, friends? Sometimes, sometimes we need help out of the pit. Sometimes we have to be the one to come alongside and say, I got you. Come on. Come on, mighty warrior. Rise up. You're okay. And guess what? Yeah, I have to do it two, three times. You might have to do it four, five, six times, but that's okay. Keep raising people up out of those pits. Keep believing in people. Believe in yourself, mighty warrior, and then come alongside of your church family and believe in them too. We have a quote in the book and it says it's time to reclaim the years satan has stolen from you by renewing your mind and i'm here to tell you today the enemy has stolen enough of my time no more bye felicia he ain't taking no more and i will spend the rest of my days here proclaiming truth and helping people transform their lives by the power of the holy spirit in Romans, uh, excuse me, in Judges 8, just a couple chapters later, in, in Judges 8, 28, it, Midian, um, Gideon <laughs> wins over the Midianites. I mean, it's this huge battle. It's a glorious victory, okay? But here's this one piece of it that I want you to hear. It says in the Bible, in Judges 8, 28, that there was peace in the land for 40 years. My friends, I don't do a lot of math on the weekends because I'm off on those days. Don't do math when we're not in school, okay? Almost six times the amount of oppression they received, they got peace. They were oppressed for seven years. The Lord gave them 40 years of peace. That's because my God doesn't work in linear numbers. He works at exponential numbers, doesn't he? Come on, my friends. You're telling me today that he took 15 years of my life. I got 90 years to give. Come on, somebody. I will stomp on the devil every time. He has no more rule, no more say over what this girl does, over what this girl says, over what she believes, over what she proclaims. Truth. 
In Ephesians 4, it says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And we have an opportunity, friends. I am a pro-life missionary to this network, but I cannot do it alone. And I get to go and I get to educate and resource and support churches and crisis pregnancy centers. But we're always looking for people who want to be trained up and be chapter leaders and, and guide the studies and help men and women and families find true forgiveness and healing through Jesus. And as we start to close today, I want to take you through one part of the book. I had the amazing privilege of actually going through the program. This is my book, y'all. It's, look, it's worn. <laughs> There's a lot of tear stains in here. I may have thrown it once or twice. But there's a part in chapter 9 where we sit with the Lord and we just begin to talk to him about our child. Where we begin to put personality and identity to a baby who otherwise lives in a sea of nameless faces in heaven. And my daughter, Bailey Lynn, who I have never met on this side of heaven, waits for me. And I'd like to take the time today to share a, a letter that I wrote to her. Bailey Lynn, my sweet perfect, precious girl. Your mommy made a decision a long time ago that has caused us to be apart. That decision was not the right decision and because I chose selfishly, I know I have to wait to see your precious face. I did not get to see you grow up and experience the world through your bright, clear blue eyes or teach you to ride a bike, curl your hair, shave your legs, or hug you through your first crush gone wrong nor will I experience your beautiful voice that would change lives for the glory of Jesus Christ or watch you walk down the aisle and I will wait for grandchildren from your brothers because I was selfish. Oh, my sweet girl, if only I had been smarter, braver, and reliant on the Holy Spirit instead of my own ambitions. My heart knows that we will have eternity together, but I am still healing from the pain of not sharing sunsets with you here now. Your brothers would adore you. Tyler would be the best daddy to you, adopt you and call you his own. And we would have all the mommy-daughter things to do, but I know you are safe, waiting and ready to rekindle our relationship. The value the sanctity of life as a rare and precious gift. I am so sorry, Bailey Lynn, that I failed to recognize and acknowledge that. And I will spend the rest of my time on earth helping others to understand and give it back the honor it deserves. Love you always, my girl. Mommy. And as we begin to close today, I want you to know that the Lord sees you. 
the Lord hears you. No matter how deep you think your pit is, no matter how hidden you think you are, no matter how many years of oppression you've faced, he can restore, renew, and redeem every single moment. And I'm here to tell you today, rise up, mighty warrior. Rise up, mighty warrior. And as Pastor Amy comes, I want to ask you one question. Are you afraid of the devil? Is he afraid of you? Rise up, mighty warrior. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Mm. Amen. It's a good word. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Would you stand with us today? Would you all stand? I'm going to have Wendy pray over us today because yes, I know throughout this room, this message has touched many of you. Mm. I know it's touched me in my heart too. So whatever you have going on, I'm going to ask that Wendy pray for us today. And then we're going to close at the end of that. But Amen. Yes. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, God. Lord, we are so grateful for your presence. Lord, today I ask that we would rise up, that we would rise up as mighty warriors. Lord, that we would begin to see what you see in us. Lord, that we would not hide, that we would not stay in that pit of despair any longer. Lord, that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but you have come with purpose. You have come with life and life abundantly. Father God, that we would receive that today. Lord, I ask just a hedge of protection of peace over each and everyone's mind. Lord, that it would guard their heart, that it would guard their mind, just like it says in your word. And today, Father God, Lord, we bake, break the bonds of oppression. Father God, Lord, we break the chains that bind us. Father God, depression be gone in the name of Jesus. Guilt and shame, you have no place here. Father God, Lord, we claim worthy as your name and you are a powerful God. We look to you today for our source of truth. God, I ask that you bless each and every person here in this room today. Lord, that we would walk out changed, that we would walk out seeing our fullest potential. Lord, that we might even grab the hand of the person beside us and raise them up today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We trust you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Wendy. Jesus. We're going to pray for Wendy in just a moment. And um, I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come forward at this time. And they're going to be in place as we close our service. If you want prayer for, for anything that Wendy might have spoken about, anything that you're dealing with, are they're going to be here in place. And also, um, we're going to be giving Wendy a special offering as a just thank you for coming. We support her monthly um, as a church, but if you'd like to give to her individually, um, you can do that a couple of different ways. There's a QR code on the paper in your Bible that you can, or bulletin that you can give directly to her, or you can also, our ushers will be at the back with an offering bag that we'll, we'll put uh, all together and, and send a check to her. So however you would like to support her. She's also going to be out at the lawn foyer at her table. She's got her materials and some other things that she she can share with you if you're interested in, in hosting a chapter or anything of talking with her. She'll be out there and have some prayer cards. But we're going to pray over her and um, just ask the Lord to bless her. So if you extend your hands to her right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Wendy. Lord, we thank you for all that she has um, been through and walked through, God, because, Lord, you have made it all for good, Lord God. And Lord, we thank you for redeeming, Lord, the, the, the years, Lord, that the locust has stolen and eaten in her lives, God, that she is now, Lord, walking this path of, of just redemption and 
and telling of truth, Lord God, and sharing her story. God, we thank you, Lord, that through her story, you have never left her. Lord, you have always been with her, God. And Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you have a future and a path for her. And as she walks forward, you would continue to provide for her. You would meet every need, God, that you would provide for her family, Lord, that you would just order her steps according to you, God, and that you would point her in the right direction so that she can be as effective as you want her to be, God, that she would bear much, much fruit from this ministry, God, that it would touch many hearts and many people would be free and receive freedom from the bondage of oppression and depression and from abortion, Lord God, and we just thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in her life, God, we continue to bless her. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Amen. Just give her a moment to get out to the foyer before we dismiss, but we thank you so much for coming today. Pastor Josh will be back next week with our series in James, and we appreciate you coming. If you need prayer, our prayer partners are here. Please um, feel free to come up at this time and, and pray with them. God bless. Have a great Sunday. We love you. See you next week.